Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of The Rise, the newest gaming podcast where we digest everything gaming related, social media related, content creator related. Uh, as always, I am Matthew, aka The Deadly Showman, and I am joined by my incomparable co-star. Uh, Tarush, speakeasy GG. How are you doing, guys? And today, our topic that we are going to be discussing is the longevity slash life cycle of games. Why are there some games out there that we're still playing today that released 20 years ago while others fizzle out and die after just a couple months? And we want to lead this conversation by talking about games that kind of change the genre, what we call these legacy games, that maybe people aren't playing them, but they leave a lasting impression. And speaking of last... We're going to be talking a little bit about The Last, the Last of, Us. of Us 2. The Last of Us Part 2. Now, this is not, we want to make this clear, a Last of Us Part 2 podcast. We have that planned for the future, but there will be spoilers. So, spoiler warning, you have been warned. We're going to talk about things that happen in this game, whether it's jump scares or the characters or major plot points. So, you've been warned. You want to give another warning? This, this, this is your final warning, by the way. We're going to be doing major, major spoilers ahead. Yeah, major spoilers ahead. Major spoilers ahead. Again, this isn't a Last of Us Part 2 <laughs> podcast, but we have to talk about the spoilers in the context of why this game is going to leave a legacy. Just interjecting here quickly. If you'd like to avoid spoilers, go ahead and skip to 1045. I repeat, minute 1045 seconds to avoid spoilers. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into it. Let's start by, and I want to ask you because you're, I think a couple hours ahead of me, we were just talking about this uh, six, six or so hours ahead of me. Yep. How are you liking the game? Tell me some of the things that, you know, really stood out to you and some things that maybe you don't like so much. Oh my God. So right off the bat, the story, I know people online are saying, this is just a revenge plot. It's not. I I'm sorry, but it's not. It's so much deeper than that. Is that what motivates Ellie here, revenge. Yes, of course. That's what get like again. Your final spoiler alert right now. This is it. They kill Joel. <laughs> they kill Joel. Like that's she. That spurs her to action. That leads her to Seattle. That's kind of the jumping off point here. Well, that's let's call the, it what social media calls it. It was it was a Joel in one, right? And I think oh a lot of people God. took offense to that. That's so dark. But there's so many. The three. There are three themes that I keep coming back to with this game, and those are actions have consequences. An eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind. I can't even remember the last thing, but those, those two right there, there was a third thing I was thinking of. It'll come back to me. But if you the remember- The second back, one, I, I agree with a lot. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. I think that's been a recurring theme a lot with this game, a lot of things in the media today. Um, so it was very topical. I think Naughty Dog was very, very, like did a really good job about the timing with all of this for sure. Oh my God. I, I, re this, I don't think- there has ever been a better point to play this game. Reason being, people right now are quarantine. Oh, and upset. They're too. angry. They're, they're in quarantine. They're angry. They're upset. They're confused. And they don't know what to do with these feelings because who do you blame for COVID-19? Can't blame anybody. Right. And this is, that's how you feel as Ellie. You're angry. You're upset. You have, you're experiencing all these emotions, but she has found a place to put them. Is it justified? It's hard to say because- yeah. Abby and her group are kind of justified in their actions, potentially. Wait, I forget. Do you know why they killed Joel or no? Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, you know why they killed Joel. Fair enough. Absolutely. They, yeah. They're justified in what they did. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think the way they presented it is that Abby is basically Ellie. Like, this is her last of us. Oh, my God. They're, they're the same fucking character. I'm not crazy, right? 
Right. She's collecting her quarters and Ellie is collecting her uh, cards, right? Yeah. If you don't think these two women are, they're not the same character. That sounds, that's unfair. They are incredibly similar by design. You're just insane. I think the fixation on like um, people are not prepared for or ready to see, you know, the slightly more like buffer masculine uh, women represented in games. I think that's sort of the wrong focus here. I think um, the bigger take is I, it's so real that it's hard for people to see that level of relatability in a game and play through it and be like, wow, like the, the, there isn't that really like good feeling because that it's leaving that like bitter taste in some ways of like, this is, you know, real life is like this too. Exactly. Um, it's a different kind of experience. It's very thorough in that regard. Yep. That scene with Nora, I saw a part of your stream. You're like, do I have to do this? I didn't want to do that either. I, I did not want to. Press oh my gosh. Screen. It was awful. I didn't want to press the square button. I didn't have a choice though. Dark, Jesus Christ. But yeah, so this game, it's very real. We're all used to these happy endings where things work, like Avengers, where, okay, here's your spoilers for Avengers Endgame 2. <laughs> in case you haven't seen that Is it yet. really counted as a spoiler? I think we're a couple years uh, down the line from that. Yeah, so That's Iron Man, here's guys. Spoilers for, yeah, by the way, <laughs> that Infinity Gauntlet thing. Who was collecting the stones again? I forgot his name. Big Purple Dude. It was the Hulk, right? Exactly. Like, it, it's Purple not like... <laughs> Endgame. There's a little bit of a sad ending. Iron Man dies, but they're still like they won. The good guys won. It was the heroic sacrifice, the final piece de resistance to Tony Stark's character arc. Right. The Last of Us to date, there has been no real happiness here. I've yet to see the happy, the sunshine, the on the bright side at least. Insert here. Maybe you could tell me, Tarouche, because I haven't really seen it. Ah, uh, the bright side. We made it through the day. Yeah, we're alive. Isn't that like the most reassuring thing is that when is the next checkpoint for me to be done with the day? It's not like a chore in the sense of like, oh my God, I have to play through this, but it's more like, I think gripping and it really has me, right? Like I'm engaged as I'm playing this. I think one of the best things, and I have to give it to Naughty Dog on this is there's subtleties in the mechanics, like remembering your shoulder swap, like, oh my God. That matters so much more than you would think. Like in some situations, you're like, oh my God, why is my why is my gun in my left hand? But you're like, no, I was holding it that way for a reason, like around that previous corridor, right? That's, those things don't switch automatically. Like they presented a level of realism that I think was attempted in uh, Red Dead Redemption, right? Yeah. And it was done and it was attempted and done really well, I think, to the point that a lot of fans or a lot of people playing that game were a little turned off by how real of a sim that was. Yeah. Um and I think the realism is, is presented to a point here that you're engaged and you're really caught up. And so at every moment when it's like, whether it's a human, whether it's a zombie, you're, you're in it and you're, you're, you know, freaked out, you're getting jump scared, you know, you're just trying to make it through, you're trying to survive. You have that like survivalist feeling that Ellie is feeling or yep. that Abby is feeling as you're going through it. Yeah, that's I've, insane. Yeah, I've been more terrified playing this game. The first Last of Us, there were only like one or two real... Um, horror moments in the game like when you're first encounter with the clicker first encounter with the clicker that's terrifying Joel in the basement with the stalkers that's terrifying because you're alone right and there's a bloater down there at one point that's really scary if you played the left behind did you play left behind the dlc i actually did not but you can go ahead and spoil that i mean i've read about it you play as ellie in that one but you're totally alone and you're 14 years old everyone including the infected is bigger and stronger than you it is a little terror there's a stalker scene and it's terrifying but this game, I'm a full-grown Ellie. Whenever I'm alone or in these dark corridors, I'm checking every goddamn corner. Now that I know jump scares are in the game, like we were talking about this offline. After the first stalker scene, you get into the sewers. 
open that door and that stalker just jumps out of the fucking wall at you. I, yeah. I, scared me to half to death. And now I'm checking every corner because I don't know what's coming next. Man, after the first stalker scene, when I walked in and, they, and you know, I think the, the character says, or Ellie says, you know, what's that smell? And I, the scene is so iconic. It's like burned into my brain. I pl- only played it once and I, I can't wait to play this game again. Oh um, you go in and she's like, what's that smell? And just like, oh, thank God. Like, it's just a dead human. Another <laughs> inspection at the dead human. And it's like, ch- and his chest cavity is open. Like, holy shit, right? You were, you were eaten alive. And so in that moment, and I was streaming when this was happening, I was like, I'm going to turn around. And there's going to be like some zombies in here, right? And as I get to the door, there's a stalker there. Right? And this is your first time seeing a stalker. I was like, holy God. shit. Like, oh. no, man, no. And you go around the corner. And at that point, for the entire higher rest of the scene you're, you don't know where like the stalker is going to come in and yeah you chase it and you you can kind of see like the blood marks going into that office scene and this entire thing ensues but you know from this moment like i, I was putting i remember putting like trip mines behind me when i'm going to check like closed spaces like that one bathroom for example i was like no way am i gonna let something jump scare me and i was gonna be so mad too if the game threw in like a cutscene type of jump scare of it, like it evades my bomb or whatever. Because till that point, the level of realism of like, well, it was just, it was there, right? Yep. I can't aim properly to an extent. And yeah, I suck at aiming. So we'll talk about that later, right? But you feel it with the different weapons, whether you're using your shotgun, whether you're using your bow and arrow, like, and then the reactions is the other big thing is you're killing these people and like you're reminded that they're people. That, like oh their expression, the gurgling when they're dying, they're calling out to fallen friends. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Oh, have you had to kill a dog yet? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh no. Dude, like, there was one point where I killed one of the dogs and the character yells out, She got bear. And I just, like, my heart broke. My heart just broke. <sighs> I, I really didn't want to do it. Like, I didn't want to do it and to the point that I was using a silencer and, like, killing the owner and be like, Okay, dog, run away. <laughs> don't want this <laughs> like don't come here oh, oh god but again it comes back to it these are these are at the end of the day these are ones and zeros but they feel so real yeah and i don't get it and the reason i i think we've been on the last of us part too long enough now yeah, we'll have a dedicated away from here yeah we'll have i want to make it clear we're gonna have a dedicated last of us slash last of us part two podcast once we both be in the game i don't want to spoil anything for tarush because i'm well ahead of him but the reason we're talking about The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part Two is because this game is amazing right now. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward to 2023, though. This game is probably going to be on your shelf collecting dust. because until, there's... until it gets remastered in 2024 for the PS5. Watch out exactly. for that. Exactly. Oh, watch out. Coming to you soon. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's what's going to happen because this is a single-player game. Though there's some replayability, you could try playing on the hardest difficulty, which I will do here. But once you do that, once you platinum it, once you go find all the stuff that was hidden, all the collectibles, that's it. The game is done until the next Last of Us comes out. Because let's be clear, there's going to be another Last of Us. If you don't think so, you're insane. But Last of Us 3, one. Oh, 2027. Are we here yet? But anyway, the reason we want to discuss The Last of Us Part 2 in this context is because this is an amazing game, arguably. But four years from now, before it's remastered, no one will be playing it, which is really crazy to think about. Something this good, just being like people, eh, I don't want to do that anymore. I've already done everything I can do there. And this is not the only game like this that exists, what we're calling these quote-unquote legacy games. It's a game that it's really, really good, 
and people love it, but no one's playing it anymore. You think of something like The First Last of Us, maybe GTA San Andreas, Ocarina of Time, Mario 64, Halo 2, all these games that really change things, but no one is playing them anymore. Why do we still talk about these games today, Tarouche? What about these games just left this legacy behind? So I think there's a couple of reasons why these games hold that sort of remembrance where everyone will remember the Dark Souls series. Like everyone will remember Doom. You'll all, you'll all Doom. remember God of War, right? Like how can you forget God, I'm sorry, father and, and boy. The, these games will be remembered for reasons because of compelling stories, because they were genre defi- like defining or they really set the tone for the next set of games really. Like, and we can talk about The Last of Us 1 as this game that came out and what followed were a series of, and obviously done by Sony and primarily, series of story-oriented games where, you know, you're going to be paying a certain amount and experience something for, you know, 15 to 20-some hours. And, you know, you might get an online multiplayer or something to hold around if you really enjoy the characters and stick around with, but after some time, you put the game to bed. And that's something that, you know, you walk away. It's like you're paying for a movie, and that's something that was built in is like, now we accept, okay, story games are a thing. And we don't really question it. And we don't question it because there were stories like Last of Us that were so good, right? Some stories we might toss aside as being like, oh, it was kind of whatever. I'm trying to think of like a story that might do this. And honestly, the only thing that comes to mind, and this is crazy, is uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 3. I think it was Black Ops 3. How obviously all the Call of Duties have had some sort of like story campaign mode, but they really function this as like an RPG. You're playing this like futuristic um, like soldier and it's like, it's like a story game. And it felt really weird as a call of duty. Like we're not doing a campaign. I'm just like living through a guy's story, but it, it felt like games like last of us really set the tone for games like this to come out or for games to be shaped in this way. GTA San Andreas or some of these more like open world games obviously led us to where we have GTA 5 being remastered yeah. how many times for how many different consoles we'll, we'll never know. Um, Rockstar, when, when, have you seen the Obama awarding Obama the medal meme? <laughs> I have not actually. Oh, there is, yeah. Obama is awarding himself the medal of freedom and that's what I picture. Rockstar, GTA San Andreas putting the medal around GTA 5. GTA 5, yeah, my God. GTA 6 is never even going to be a concept when they remaster GTA 5 for the PS6. So Another one. There you have it. <laughs> yeah, another one. But like, I think we should talk about on the flip side and maybe if you could think about a couple of these um, games that maybe set the pace as far as mechanics right because like i would think about from we were just talking about last of us 2 and so i'll bring that up like last of us is a story game so maybe story games are not really remembered for their mechanics so much but things subtle like remembering shoulder swap is things that i could see being you know pushed forward if fans really enjoyed that as like a feature right um any 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 games that you might have played that really felt this way oh i'm trying to think of the mechanics that just like and this could be this best sound bad but there are mechanics that came to games that made me hate them Going back to Call of Duty, when they started introducing jetpacking and jumping around, I hated oh, it. Right. And that's because they didn't feel like Call of Duty to me. Call of Duty, we'll talk about that later because there's plenty to talk about there in this topic too. But a mechanic that was just so good that it was forever, I think we just take it for granted at this point. I think that games have evolved to a point where if it's a good mechanic, everybody has it and nobody even thinks twice. Like, oh yeah, that should be in there, of course. That's true. Yeah. Shoulder swapping. Of course we should have shoulder swapping. What do you mean there's no shoulder swapping? 
Yeah. But, um, reloading your gun, but like you get that, like sometimes you reload a gun halfway, but you get to keep all the ammo, even though in real life that makes no sense. Right, and then in hard mode, they implement it so that it'll be realistic, and if you yeah. try to do that, you'll lose the ammo. Exactly, but for a standard game, if imagine they did that standard, that was a part of the game, people would be like, what the hell is happening here? Why am I losing this ammo? <laughs> Even though the answer is pretty obvious, like, well, there were bullets in that clip, and you got right. rid of that clip. So these are just features that I don't even know when they were implemented. Maybe even the maybe even something like, oh my god, Doom, like you said, that first game ever carried your ammo over. I, I'm right. still I'm too young to know. But they're just these features, I think, like you were saying, that are so good and they've just been so established that we take them for granted. And games like The Last of Us just take them all and perfect them. Crafting a Molotov, it's quick, it's easy, it's simple. I need a rag, I need alcohol, I need to hold down the X button. I have a Molotov in my hand. Right. It's not, I don't need to navigate some, to the crafting table like in Minecraft and then I can craft these things which lets me craft that thing which lets me craft that thing which lets me build this to go craft more stuff. It's simple. Right. It's there. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I think like a lot of, and, and, and when we talk about genres, like what you're talking about, like mechanics we take for granted, right? These mechanics that we take for granted are sort of keystones of these then um, pivotal games to genres like the battle royale games, for example, right? Like the reason why um, Fortnite and uh, PUBG and then now Apex, right, are as good as they are is because they in they encompass all of these features and provide something new and fast-paced for people to enjoy, right? Exactly. Like Fortnite is probably what led to the success of a game like Warzone, something that gamers didn't really know that they wanted, but <laughs> now that they have it, oh my God, it's amazing, right? Yeah. Um, on the other side, you could talk about games like uh, the Defense of the Ancients mod for Warcraft 3 turning into the MOBA, like, you know, spawning the MOBA genre for games like League of Legends and uh, Heroes of the Storm. And how that also carried over into the shooter genre where you have games like Overwatch, which are now fine-tuned into games like Valorant, right? Which is sort of like your Overwatch CSGO clone. So you have all these games that, and they bring these mechanics. And I think some of them were introduced so long ago that you know as they come in but i think now the games of today and this is obviously how we say how we talk about you know the longevity of games because why aren't some of those games that set these mechanics in stone like we could talk about you know old school mario introducing crazy mechanics for platforming yep. and to that uh franchises bet like um i'm forgetting the word here to their credit right odyssey is a fantastic game yeah. And it brings together all of the wonderful aspects of platforming and added new ones that they probably only scratched the surface of, right? So Mario in and of itself is continuously redefining what it means to platform, first in two-dimensional and now in three-dimensional yep. space, Yep. right? Go, yeah, I was going to say, you go all the way back to Mario N64. That game boils down to a collect-a-thon at the end of the day. Collect all these stars, reach bosses, reach the final boss, you win. And they spawn right. Sunshine, Galaxy, <laughs> Odyssey, Galaxy 2 odyssey yeah. they're at the end of the game day kind of similar ish games go collect all these things save the princess save the princess beat bowser right you know that's that's mario that's mario and mario 64 there may have been games before that i don't know i think i'm too young but that really set the standard for these 3d collectathons. uh do you have a switch i do have a switch so have you played odyssey I have not. I have been. I just got Cuphead recently. And I've been playing through that, and that takes. I have too many games right now. Odyssey, <laughs> Breath of the Wild, both on my bucket list. But yeah, I have wow. too many games. 
Man, Odyssey is, is crazy long, actually, because I think if you're trying to get the perfect ending, there's uh, about 700 stars in in that, I want to say 500 to 700 stars. So yeah. Bruh. And and when I say that they're scratching the surface, it really does feel like that because it's crazy when you want to navigate up a wall, for instance, how you can use multiple jumps off of, you know, your hat, your double jumps, like they've added different mechanics that you can, you know, use to climb this wall. You have options where you can turn into two-dimensional Mario <laughs> and scale this level in 2D. And once you get to the top of the 2D level, you'll pop out of the top of the 3D level. Which is really interesting how they've combined 2 and 3D puzzling and platforming into one single game, which I think is really cool. It's, it's again, it's just they're setting the standard for the future. And I, before right. we move on from this topic, I almost want, I want to ask you this last question. For these games that left behind this legacy, mm-hmm. like The Last of Us, like Mario 64, like GTA San Andreas, do you think it's almost better that these games aren't played to death? Do you think it's better that they do sit on your shelf collecting dust? Because the more you play a game, something like Fortnite, you begin to see where the cracks are, where the bugs are, where things aren't good. Then you start complaining. Then all you can do is focus on what's wrong with the game instead of what's so right about it. Is it better that people took these games, played them, experienced them, and set them down instead of trying to find what was wrong with it? With strictly story games, I would agree with that sentiment for sure. Because I think that these story games come out at certain time periods that you know, tend to work out in their favor as being, you know, propelling the story to being as popular as it is. It's in the same way where some movies or TV shows may not hit as well as they would have, you know, or how well as they did back in, you know, like the 80s or 90s, for example, if you talk about like Friends today. Friends would not do as well in 2020 as it did back in the 90s, right? for sure. You're about to trigger, you're going to trigger a lot of people with that statement. Oh, I mean, okay, before, before to all the people maybe responding to this, I love Friends. I, that show, I was really saddened when they took it off of Netflix. I, I grew up watching that show, right? But it just wouldn't hit right with the people growing up today and in, in the world today. The, some of the jokes just, you know, really miss the mark or feel a little insensitive, right? And for good reason. The world is very different today than it was back then. And I think the same thing applies to these, like, story games, right? Yep. And they're meant to deliver a commentary and to make you feel some type of way. And once you've done that and you've experienced all of that, when you're expecting it, it's not the same. So maybe the second replay is good and then the third and then the fourth. But if you're like 20 or 30 replays into something, I'm not really sure you would be feeling the same way unless like there's a hard level of relatability between you and characters in that game. Right. I I agree with that. I think, yeah, these games, you got what you needed out of them. Why are you trying to just, why are you trying to bury it? Why are you trying to do that to the game? Like people will always, like the last of us part two, people are trying to say, find reasons why it's not a great game already. And a lot of these people are, I think a little tone deaf, but over time people would really maybe find the reasons why this game mechanically isn't good or from a story perspective, really try to tear it down to the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. But six months from now, we're probably not going to be talking last of us part two anymore, but we will right. look back on that game very fondly. Right. I think on the flip side, like mechanic heavy and mechanically responsive games are good to be replayed or it's good that they're played over and over again. Um, I think like it's good that even some of these older Mario games still have a speedrunning community because it's crazy how, you know, even up until like a couple of years or months ago, and I'm not too familiar, but I did see like a video about a year ago of like a speedrun record being broken through like some new mechanic found for like a Mario game is like, by spamming these games and figuring out these glitches in the code or something like that, they're able to figure out 
some really neat and interesting tricks. But what ends up happening is I think like it spawns a level of creativity when you feel like a genre is saturated, right? When you thought that platformers couldn't get any more creative, you come out with something like Mario Maker, where now forget the devs creativity, give the creativity to the player to make the most impossible level ever. But hey, if they can beat it, it's possible, right? Yep. And maybe you learn from some of the more popular levels in there and include include those kind of mechanics into your future games and wow imagine how well that sat with your public because they rated it super public in mario maker right i think it's actually really interesting that if they incorporate these kind of strategies like i don't know if they will it's not like i'm sitting here in nintendo's backyard like hey guys what's the business plan like it's not (laughs) like (laughs) but i could totally see something like that happening right games like super smash brothers are another good example of this right it has a really good following because the game has so many mechanics in and of itself that it feels responsive and good to play there's a level of mastery that can be attained and there are mechanics that are still being found out that are features right and this is what they're calling like bugs features that you know whatever and we won't really get into the semantics of this but irrespective of what it is it's present in the game to the point that devs felt pressed to include similar type of mechanics into smash ultimate because i don't know if you remember um there was a lot of complaint in the melee community or in that you know smash community with um with brawl because brawl felt really floaty i think was it really floaty or the characters felt really heavy it was one of the two it just felt really like improper to play compared to melee and so there was actually like a mod that came out so that people could play the brawl characters in melee style mechanics so it's really interesting that some people like um, will keep playing these games like over and over again. So depending on the game, for these story games, I think we've come to the conclusion it's good that we've just let them be. It's yes, like for sure, like fine aged wine. For these other games, these platformers, <laughs> it's actually better that they still have some crazy community like the speedrunners because they just find new ways to play these old games right. that keeps them fresh. So with that in mind. We've covered legacy games. Now we're going to kind of look at the mirror of this in that the games that maybe aren't going to leave a legacy behind. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But these are games that are played for years, if not decades to come. I'm talking League, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty as a series. GTA V has been played for years now. And even something like Madden, a sports game. What about these games has made them playable for so many years? Whereas maybe something like Anthem, which is supposed to be a looter shooter, is dead, dead on arrival, if not maybe a month after arrival. So there's a lot of places we can start with this. And I actually would probably ask you about Anthem to begin with, because Anthem is a game that I remember when sort of was in early stages of development, how this is something that you were really excited about. And it, it seemed like it was something that had a lot of potential. And I, you, didn't even, you didn't even buy the game when it came out, if I remember correctly. Fun fact, I, I thought it looked awesome. I remember seeing the trailer like, damn, I'm Iron Man. And in that same breath, <laughs> I said, this game is going to be terrible. Really? In that same breath, because it was EA. Okay. I just did not have any faith in EA at that point. This was, I don't know if it was around the time of the Battlefront 2 controversy, right before right after but i looked at that game and said this game looks incredible it's gonna suck so that was based on the studio so then let's let's dig into that a little bit so let's what about a game like we knew the the fiasco that happened with fallout right is any future game from the studio going to be held in the similar regard to ea or how does that maybe play out for you because of like how 
you know, how poorly that was handled across the board. You know, what's funny. I'm not that thrilled. Well, obviously maybe thrills the wrong word. I am skeptic of the next elder scrolls game. Now I am concerned for the next elder scrolls game because of how this all was handled because of how 76 was handled. Granted, 76 is an online game, whereas Elder Scrolls is gonna be probably just you on your couch. So they're two very different games that are marketed very differently. Mm-hmm. But this shows Bethesda's mentality, like we wanna make money. Fuck you, the player, I want money. What are they gonna do? I, I don't wanna see Skyrim, because Skyrim is the fifth game. The next Elder <laughs> Scrolls game, are they gonna start adding loop? I mean, loot boxes have been around for a while now, are they going to add them back? Are they going to have all these microtransactions? Like, even Skyrim got there just a little bit with the DLC where you could ride a dragon. You had to pay to do that. Which, to be fair, maybe it was. in Skyrim? Oh, yeah. And one of the DLCs, you could pay to ride a dragon. Open oh, your side mind. tab to like buy, a, buy the Skyrim DLC real quick. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse me. But no, no, no. This is a great point. Yeah. What, was that feature ready to go or did they hold off on it? It's so yeah. unclear. This is, what, this is what kills games. When you prioritize money, I think this is huge, and this is going to be a major discussion point right here. When you prioritize profit over quality, you have a bad game that does not live on. League, yeah. I was talking with my roommate about this game. I personally don't play it, but this game has been around for 10 goddamn years, yeah. which is insane. Games don't last 10 years. That does not happen. They have had constant free updates new are they heroes or playable i don't even know what they're called in the game i feel uncultured no it's uh new champions yeah new champions champions. yeah they have new champions for free they constantly and they're constantly tweaking and rebalancing them because this guy becomes the new meta now they have to roll him back so now she's the new meta oh we got to roll her back so now this guy's the new meta it's always fresh it's new they're not prioritizing the money they're a business they want to make money but at the end of the day, it's giving yeah. the player the best game possible. Right. And so this is actually really interesting that you brought that up about how they're constantly updating. Because there, there's something that's, that can be said, and the game that actually came to mind about, you were talking about how games are sort of adopting this whole like pay model with like loot boxes or otherwise. And I would actually talk about how some of the games are now shifting into being unfinished and then allowing dlcs to complete them we can talk about like assassin's creed how like the story maybe is finished in and of itself and how the dlc continues it or gives you more but then maybe flip it back to like a kingdom hearts type game where and you know all of the original kingdom hearts was like a long and expensive game and then kingdom hearts i think three is and had multiple dlcs planned for it and is something that is happening and being released at the moment right is it, it, games have changed to now, you know, will not only give you a game for 60 bucks, but like now try to get up to 90 on, and, and we'll have to do a whole nother segment on like the pricing of games and things like yeah. that, because this is something that um, yeah. I think hasn't really been looked into yeah. as, you know, games have sort of been, you know, 25, 35, 40, 60 dollars. And then now you have your deluxe editions going for like 80, 90, 100. Yeah. Because they include your season pass for your DLC. So you're like, okay, what gives the game longevity is you paying 40 bucks and I'll give you two years of longevity is what the game is saying. You know what's funny? I think we're actually slightly moving away from games as a service. That's the model you're talking about where pay me a little bit more money and I will give you more game. 
we're beginning to get away from that. I think you're right. Games like Destiny. But that gives it longevity, right? In some sense, the game like Destiny actually redefined its longevity by making the base game free. Yep. Uh, eventually, they went on to make it free. I, I personally spent $60 on a pile of garbage, but we're not going to talk about that. Well, so like I bought Guild Wars 2 when it came out for like $80 back in 2011 or 2012, something like that. And in 2000, and you know, I bought, you know, two expansions after and stuff like that, right? And the base game came out for free in 2018. And those expansions went on sale for like 30 bucks, right? Because they've done these things to make sure that like, hey, okay, now that it's free or it's cheaper, you know, we can reel in these new players or give these older players reason to come back, things like that. So that's one thing, right? That's like the continuous like update model of like, well, you'll, you'll pay and you'll get more content. Then you have games like League and Valorant and Hearthstone and Overwatch that are consistently being updated, balanced, changed, whatever. Like the game is kept fresh by the developers. They're not necessarily giving you new content. Well, they sometimes will new heroes. Right. But more often than not, they're just, they're giving you a new experience more so than a new game. And it's interesting because they actually, the money model behind that actually follows the, the, cha- the buff cycle and the change cycle. Because you'll actually notice as a trend goes over time is that the microtransactions that they're coming out with on a regular basis will have some sort of dictation on how uh, balance changes goes, right? Let's say I'm going to come out with a new skin for a certain champion, but the champion sucks. No one's going to buy the skin. But if I make the champion better, then people will buy the skin, right? Mm. So those are some interesting things that they do to keep, you know, make sure that they keep getting money while staying free as a game. But the idea here is actually gamers really enjoy sticking to this game because they have something to commit to in the sense of like, you know, I've been playing it for so long and it's interesting to play for so long because, you know, the game gives me a reason to stay. It's kept fresh on a regular basis, Right. Exactly. So now that's interesting that you say that the game is kept fresh on a regular basis. League is kept fresh for free on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to flip the script. Madden and Call of Duty are kept right. anything but fresh on a regular basis. These might be the most repetitive games of all time. Call of Duty, you get some new maps, some new guns. Madden, you get some new players and some new aesthetics. Other than that, you are looking at the exact same game year to year. But they are arguably Call of Duty is the most successful shooter franchise. Madden is the most successful sports franchise. So they're doing the exact opposite thing that League is doing, but they're having just as much, if not more, success. How can, that's like crazy to think about. I'm doing the opposite thing my competition's doing, and it's working just as well for me. How does that happen? Any other industry? You do the opposite of what the successful people do, you fail, except here. Why do you think that is? So there's two things here. I think one thing speaks to your casual gamer versus your quote-unquote hardcore gamer. And I might have said a lot of people in the way that I've said this because some of the people who play, you know, one game or another will say like, how are you calling me hardcore or not? (laughs) It's not a personal attack, I swear. I think it's interesting that because of the levels of complexity that go into a game like League that continuously changes and you have to stay up to date, that it's not as attractive to your casual gamer. And your casual gamer 
could be someone obviously like has varied interests outside could be anything from sports to otherwise in games like call of duty and madden and these other sports games are very easy and quick and like even gta right yeah. these games are easy to pick up quick to pick up not very difficult and those things actually make it really attractive sorry about that um my cat just kind of ran into the microphone oh. um yeah she, she likes to say hello every now and then but yeah, so you have your casual gamer versus your hardcore gamer. And so these games kind of cater to different audiences. But even within, you know, your Maddens and Call of Duties, I, I want to ask you, first of all, these games are, as you said, like very successful, but they have competitors, don't they? Madden, like, I guess other sports, but Call of Duty definitely has competitors. Like Call of Duty, the big competitor that comes to mind is Battlefront. Uh, Battlefield, Battlefield. Battlefront. Battlefield, Battlefield. not Battlefront. Battlefield, sorry. Yeah. And for maybe not Madden, but you know, for NBA 2K, you have NBA Live. For um, FIFA, you have um, what's the other soccer game? PES uh, Mario Super Strikers. No, no, no. There's like another. <laughs> there's another soccer game actually. That's I want to say it's PES something. Like you want to look it up quickly because I I know what you're talking yeah. about. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's gonna kill me if you don't look it up right now. Pro Evolution Soccer PES. PES. Oh, oh. Yes, absolutely right. Boom! I don't there even watch soccer or football <laughs> for the cultured people out there because we're Americans and we watch soccer. <laughs> but it's funny, right? Because I think in 2017 or 2018, there was a FIFA game that came out after they had the, the British protagonist, Alex something. And that game apparently had a lot of issues and people were not too happy with it. People were returning it. And it was in that same year that people were really happy with PES and saying like, wow, this game is looking really good. You know, you obviously you have your NBA 2Ks versus NBA Live. And the question I have for you, because we were talking about this, you know, a little bit um, offline was, you know, what are we really paying for with these improvements? Like they're doing roster updates for us, sure. But on a graphical level, like other than increasing the quality of the bead of sweat on the player's brow, what am I getting? Is it like a mechanical change? Uh, there are a couple mechanics. I know they make a few. Some games update better than others. At this point, Madden does not. They claim they're doing updates. They don't. It's all the same. Something like NHL, on the other hand, they actually improve that game year to year. They might be hitting that saturation point, though. Mm-hmm. FIFA, I think it's at the saturation point. Well, the game two- feels good to play, and it like doesn't really make sense. So, like, when you say saturation point, right? Yeah. you mean like when it feels good to play, and there's no really reason to change the mechanics, right? Exactly. Like Even if you could make it more realistic, you're going to maybe ruin the game. Why would you do that? Like Madden, True. I don't know if you've ever seen when you're a running back, you kind of sidestep a little gingerly. Like I never see a running back actually sidestep like that. <laughs> and from a gameplay perspective, it works. So even right. though you couldn't make it more realistic, why would you? And I think what you're, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I think no, no. what you're paying for is with the Call of Duties, what helps them a lot is if you have friends Let's say I have John, James, Jenny, and Gemma. Okay. If Johnny and James get the next Call of Jays. Duty, Jenny and Gemma, okay, that's a bad. Let's go A, B, C, D. Let's keep life simple. If A and B, we're not going to tongue twist through this podcast. If A and B get the next Call of Duty, well, guess what? C and D have to get it to play with them. That's true. they're not going back. They have to come. You have to come up to me. I'm not going back to you. And you got to get prestige on that new Call of Duty because what is life if you don't have that highest level of prestige? Exactly, man. And like uh, the sports games, if you play with friends, this one's a little bit less so though because I found that when I play sports games, I'm playing on the couch. And I actually only buy a sports game once every three years because I don't see the reason. But some people, the real sports fans, 
Oh my God. Blank is in the game now. He got drafted. To, he got drafted to the Giants. I have to play as him. Sam Darnold on the Jets. I, I got to play as Sam Darnold. You got to get the next game then. More power to him, right? I guess. Yeah. And then it's, I think it's the same concept, right? If you want to play with your friends online, because more and more, I mean, like, yes, sports games, you're right. Couch for sure, because you can do split screen, um, multiple controllers, but like Call of Duty doesn't do split screen anymore. Um, no, I, I don't think they do maybe local like you could do offline but yeah. you can't do online split screen or anything like that anymore which you used to be able to do on you know some of the older versions like I remember on Modern Warfare 2 the biggest Ooh. thing was you could do split screen local oh I'm God. pretty sure I'm going that was down. crazy yep so these games they've done the exact opposite thing as League but they've appealed to the casual gamer and they've right. created this ecosystem where you need to be in the new to keep up whether it's because i need to play with my friends and the only way i can do that is if i have the new game or i need to have the newest player and the only way i can do that is if i have a new game kind of like league i want to play the new champion you get it for free here but you need to play the the game to get the currency to be able to purchase the 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 hero in question actually exactly madden i want to play as this new quarterback but guess what you got to do you got to pay this money to get to play as those new characters but at the think at the end of the day, all of these games, no matter what you think about them, whether you think Call of Duty's, what do you Call of Duty? What are you five? Do you drink cold core Mountain Dew and eat Doritos? <laughs> like oh, uh, God. Uh, you play you play League? You're insane! Like that game's too hard. Like would you just grind on your PC? All these yeah. games are. They have a really, stereotype with them. Yeah, there's uh, that's not the League player, by the way. That's not your average League player. Anyone out there who thinks that, check yourself. League players, <laughs> I don't play, but I love you. You guys make the video game world go round. <laughs> All of these games are really, really good. They're yeah. just either mechanically or how they play or their stories, if there's a story there. They're all so good. Grand Theft Auto V, the story is so much fun. Who doesn't want to be in a heist? Who doesn't want to be a part of a heist? And I think that's what really helps them. But before we leave this topic, I want to examine one more category of subgame. And those are the ones that tiptoe or have tiptoed this line. And the one that people are going to hate me, the one that comes right to mind is Fortnite. This is a game that's been out for about three years now. They hit a massive peak in 2018, like top of the hill. They're never going to hit that again. Let's be very clear. That was once in a lifetime you want to know how crazy that game was espn was talking about it espn they don't give any respect to esports and they were talking about fortnite but if fortnite is that kind of game where it has its audience now but if you go actually go look at the trend like it's a game that's going down it's kind of holding steady but it's kind of going down other games have been like fortnite something like rainbow six siege when that dropped it dropped to average if not mediocre reviews with very advanced game mechanics and a little buggy. But that game has since reinvented itself. The pro scene is exploding. They have had 13 free content updates from Ubisoft. Right. Ubisoft. Oh my God, yeah. That should tell you, like Ubisoft's not the devil, but there's certainly no saint either. That is a game that was tiptoeing the line and did it right. When you have a game like Fortnite, I don't know how much you know, which way do you see that game going? Do you see it being this game that we're going to play five, six, seven, eight years down the line? Or is this going to be the game that just, it had its run, but now it's, let's go to the next thing. So I still have a lot of titles on my bucket list as far as 
you know, games to play and to explore a lot of mechanics, but I would definitely call myself more along the lines of like a hardcore and not so much of a casual gamer where I play games for like the mechanics and being able to like exert some sort of mastery over them and play them time and time and time again, you know, playing repetitive games like League or Overwatch, right? And then grinding them to get good to some level. And I was kind of that way with Fortnite too, because that's, I'm competitive that way. And so when Fortnite came out and this was like way, way early days of Fortnite, like beta, I think we were talking about this. And I, you know, nobody really knew how to do the builds and nobody kind of knew where all the, you know, spawn locations of items were like, we were all kind of figuring it out as we went. And what I sort of got to a point of realization with Fortnite was after I got to like my probably 200th game or something like that was there isn't really going to be a lot that changes. And so then when I take that mentality and I scale that to the the way the game is played out and I know there was like that black hole event and then they redid a lot of mechanics and then you know now we're on like I think it's season three now or something like that it's season three chapter two Um, season three the 13th season technically (laughs) like they 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 kept doing these things in different seasons and I thought it was really cool because you know my roommate was really into you know Fortnite and you know on a new season they added like um this one mode where you can like or what was it you can like redeploy your glider as you're jumping from like a really high height which I thought was a really cool mechanic to add um, or adding like new weapons but it lacks some of the skill expression that a game like Apex has when you talk about a battle royale because in addition to sort of like items and you know this whole like map that you're playing in you have hero or champion specific things to consider right yep. so when the game changes you have to consider that the game is changing in the frame of all of the heroes or agents or champions at your disposal so when you talk about rainbow six siege for example and with my limited knowledge of the game i know that there are certain agents or you know that I think have they, abilities. operators i think they operators. call them operators thank you yeah and they have different abilities right one of them yeah. is like a jammer and one of them is like tactically to set stuff up and so you build team compositions around this and a metagame sort of evolves around a balance cycle is like when something is good, something else is bad. It, it adds this like, I don't want to say Pokemon style of like weakness and you know, whatever, but it <laughs> Rock, really paper, is. Scissors. There's all, it's like a wheel, right? It's a, yep. there's always something that's on top. It's always something that's not so good, but if you're good enough, the thing that's not so good could be shown. And that's what changes things up. It's why no game is ever stale, but Fortnite unless they have that level of something, it won't have that same level of pull from the hardcore gamer audience. And I think when you talk about a longevity of games, you have to think about it in the hardcore gamer context. Whereas if you're going to talk about a series, you can think about them in the casual gamer context because the series will come out every now and then. You'll pick up your one every year if you're a hard diehard fan or you know once every three years or something like that. But you won't be playing it on a consistent basis. And so once it sort of runs its course, by that time, there's a new Call of Duty game to move on to once you've gotten bored of this one, right? Yep. But like, what's the next league, right? Or like, oh. what's, the, what's, the next, uh, what's the next Apex or something like that is what you could think about, right? Yep. And if you, I, I don't think you would have an Apex player saying the next Apex is Fortnite. But the Fortnite <laughs> player could say the next Fortnite is Apex. Yep. No, it's funny. I think you just opened my eyes a bit in that the games that succeed the meta changes based on these characters. Fortnite is a game where they don't have heroes or characters. What they tried to do and what helped, this is what they were doing. This was their version, was items and weapons. Every single week, there was Mm -hmm. something new to play with. Whether it was good or not was irrelevant. It was there to try out and it would redefine the meta. Every single week, that is not happening anymore. 
they don't release new items every week. What they do now is the map changes because if this POI changes, that changes the meta, but not really. At the end of the day, it's going to be the shotgun's going to dominate, the style of building is going to dominate, and that's going to be it. Every game is going to go that way. And I think this is where Fortnite lacks, regardless of skill-based matchmaking, regardless of cross-play, which, by the way, horrible, horrible, should not exist. PC (laughs) players should not go against console players. I don't know what crack they're kind of smoking there at Epic Games, but I want some. (laughs) But Fortnite, at the end of the day, cannot redefine itself anymore. No matter what they add, no matter what, short of ripping every item out of that game and replacing every single item, they cannot redefine themselves. And I think that is why they are going to be one of these games. They're not going to be the counter. They're not going to be um, the Rainbow Sixes or the leads of the world. They will eventually die out. You'll have, well, they'll always have those people that still play. That so I would, I would actually, I would maybe actually argue that as much as I think Fortnite doesn't have that same pull, I don't think that they will quite die. I might have, okay, die is the wrong word. The game will always be there with players, but it will I not see it like be- Club Penguin. Oh my god, what an analogy. You are so on the mark. I feel like Fortnite is going the way of Club Penguin. Even if it wasn't Club Penguin to begin with, it's like that mega social kind of game where like if the Travis concert in Fortnite was any indication, I remember like trying to catch one of the celebs gonna show up in like Club Penguin or one of those like rando games, right? It's like it's one of those like socially oriented games. You just play to play pickup, it's very casual, it's with your friends, and once in a while there's like these little fun events and mini games that you can play. So it adds that level of change up for your casual gamer. So casual gamers will continue to love this game and there'll be longevity there because with PS5 looking like a home system you could argue that these games will survive because people will be more inclined to buy a console over a Roku because it does the same and more. Yep. No, how much do you know about Fortnite right now, out of curiosity, about what they've added? In, do you know anything I, or no? I don't know what they've added. I like creep on your videos every now and then, and then I, I, I keep watching the trailer of like the cat dude. <laughs> well, I know it's sur- funny. Like the surfing cat dude. <laughs> you literally just described exactly what epic games is doing they have since added party royale where there's no combat they show movies you race you dance with friends you do dumb little mini games you're joking that is a real thing you realize the same thing that epic games did that this game fortnite battle royale is not sustainable they need to make themselves a social hub and that's exactly what they're doing because it was they they were already defining so, like social trends with their in-game dances. If that wasn't an indication of their ability to do social things, I think it was crazy because it, it really felt like this hyper cooperative Minecrafty experience, but it was a shooter. Because you could run around in a. Sh- I remember before I quit, you could like run around in a, and carry your friend in a shopping cart. Why? Just cause. <laughs> Why not? It was probably really bad tactically to like (laughs) walk around with someone as a sitting duck in like a shopping cart, but like, you know, we'll just do it and push them down a hill just cause. Want to be a bush? Sure, be a bush. You can be (laughs) dancing in game and that's fine too, right? Throw on a bush and do some orange justice. Let's go. There you go, right? And I think these these things like allowing players to have in-game expression and then their voice chat and then it doesn't have really that level of like toxicity that a lot of games have a culture for or whatever is they've really been able to go this like hyper casual route and it's really taken um, 
root and influence in a lot of these kids while like two does think about 2018 right a lot of these kids are in elementary school and they're going to carry this to like middle school and imagine if Fortnite continues to have partnerships with people like travis and like other artists and performers like and especially th- like covid the way things are going may be like a seasonal thing or recurring thing like the flu we don't know how quarantine is going to keep going or like how social things will play out but maybe online social hubs are one of the things or like a way of the future right you never know yep. and in that way Fortnite is the perfect home to be the next club penguin yep so i think the conclusion <laughs> here is Fortnite battle royale will die in the sense that it will never be league but Fortnite, the social game will live forever probably yeah yep Dude, before we move on do you know any other games do you have anything on your mind that's tiptoeing the line between that game that will live forever and the game that will falter and maybe not crash but land and melt never never soar high again oh man you know fortnite was just such it's such a good because we're we're seeing it in real time we're seeing that happen in real time most games they're so quick it's either they've already done it or they haven't been launched yet and like that we'll see them in real time it's hard to say because there's so many games that i would argue like you know world of warcraft set the bar for a lot of MMOs and it's what the comparable standard for MMOs is, right? Mm-hmm. League is that big MOBA right now. Um, you have your card games that have notability and like Magic the Gathering and then Hearthstone has its, you know, claim to fame. But I think, you know, and like I, I think on the other side, you have like Minecraft, which again is going to be a game that is played for years because it is quite literally a virtual sandbox. Games that maybe like tiptoe this line of fizzling out is like it feels weird because PUBG also is one of those and I feel like it was also in that battle royale space but Fortnite kind of just walked in took it all and then you know PUBG had the same problem as Fortnite but didn't have like that expression right yeah but realistically I think PUBG actually was the precursor to Fortnite in that tiptoeing the line right there they tiptoed and they failed yeah um maybe Overwatch I was, I was going to, I don't know anything about Overwatch. I just know that game was on top of the world and I barely see it anymore. So I think about games in, in a sense of like X killer, because when games come out, you, you know, they're going to be a hit or you think they're going to be a hit if you think it's going to be an X killer, right? So when Overwatch came out, they were like, this is going to be a league killer. See ya. When Valorant came out, same deal. And when TFT came out, same deal. And I think what, okay, first thing that people are missing is like Valorant and TFT are both made by the same people that made League of Legends. So like, hold your horses, calm down a little bit, yeah. kill the game. It's in the same client. Like, come on. Riot, Riot <laughs> Games has more than one game, everybody. They like, did it. They, they neutered up. themselves in the process. I don't think that's the way that it works. But I think like when Overwatch came out, it was, you know, different companies. So you can maybe look at it, but it was, it was a MOBA shooter. And they had a buff cycle and, you know, buff nerf cycle. They had, you know, devs changing the game. They still do when new heroes coming out and they, you know, keep doing things. I think the issue in Overwatch was the metagame didn't change drastically enough. And a lot of the changes that were noted in the professional scene were maybe not taken to the same regard. And the shooting community functions very differently. The shooting community, obviously, like, it's, it's aim precision, right? You're talking about, like, these ex-CSGO players and, you know, your TF2 players. And they're, they're looking for this, like, aim precision. And Overwatch being this, like, MOBA shooter was actually very ultimate focused. And I'm getting, like, into mechanics heavy, so I'll try to, like, pan out in a second. Which is, there were certain mechanics in, in Overwatch that 
caused these like shooter pros to be a little frustrated with like Overwatch being more MOBA than shooter. And so Valorant now being this game also by Riot now is CSGO with a twist of like, hey, we're Overwatch because you have a metagame of like different heroes and agents, but like we'll do a buff nerf cycle. And they're very like, they're one of their big tenants is like, hey, we'll listen to the player base. What do you want in the game? We'll put it in there. <laughs> like it, it, that's like their mentality because they know like that's how they hook in their players. They build a community and conversation with the company. And I think it's interesting. Like, I don't know how well this will play out because companies have their ups and downs and we're living through it in real time. But I think it's really funny that Riot as a company and its employees and shoutcasters and whatever, like meme the company for like mistakes <laughs> in buff cycles because they acknowledge it's an iterative process and the players get to help the developers iterate on this game and evolve it as it goes. I like that. I like that though. I mean, like we went wrong here. Like we were so off the mark, but they, they admit their mistakes and change it. It's not a mistake if you learn from it, in my opinion. Like if you've seen this meme about like 200 years, it's a meme about like where a Riot employee basically in a response to uh, some player or something on a forum was like, yeah, onto a player was like, together our dev team has over 200 collect years of collective experience in balancing. And so anytime something is remotely overpowered, look at that 200 years of experience putting in work right here. <laughs> to the point that like they're doing it in shoutcasting games where 200 years is not enough and it's just like and, and like you know you love it you love it so. i guess you need 201 years i think so they're missing that extra year they need to get through 2020 to get you know they got to get yeah. that vision if, if only <laughs> all right i think this is the chance our perfect timing to move into our last subcategory and these are the games that both leave an impact and still have an active player base what i would call generational games these are games like pokemon Counter-Strike, and Minecraft. They literally, they set the tone and people are still playing them. It's all like the unheard of game, the diamond in the rough. So I don't know if you can think of any more, but what are these games doing so right that they're surviving decades? They not only changed the landscape, but they changed the landscape and people are still playing them. So... These games are games, like generational games are games that when they come out are loved by your, and, and we'll have to go back to this casual and uh, hardcore gamer thing. Because if we talk about Pokemon, Pokemon was very much our generational game, right? If you were yeah. a 90s kid, oh my God. even after the 90s, right? Like you grew, anytime after the 90s, basically, you grew up with Pokemon, Yep. But I say 90s kids in particular because I think when Pokemon was its most popular on TV, and, be, and I say that also because TV has been long since sort of like since 2005, 8, like after that, you know, depression 2008, TV was sort of like phased out. People didn't have money to pay for that and then subscriptions and whatnot, right? Yep. So Pokemon was popular on TV and that built that culture where you had your like non-casuals like, oh my God, these Pokemon are like, are they super casuals? Like, oh, it's so cute. And then you have your like people playing the games and enjoying it. And then there's a competitive scene that developed, right? Yep. And it was so new as well. And it's continued to iterate and be a part of our lives where to the point that, you know, Pokemon became repopularized to the world in that, hey, you know, remember those games that we played and we, you know, what things we watched on TV? Oh, yeah, there's a, an uh, AR game about it, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, what, I forgot. What? Pokemon I, Go to the bro. Polls? Pokemon Go to the Polls? Holy shit. 
that was global. I like, forgot video global game global. got globalized in that sense, right? It did. But I, I, oh my god, like Pokemon's the kind of game where if you grew up in the '90s, you don't ask, "Did you play Pokemon?" You ask, "What was your first Pokemon game?" For right, me, it was what was your first Pokemon game? What was your first Pokemon? Actually, what was yours? Yellow version, and then by default, Pikachu. So. Okay. Fair, fair. Mine was uh, Silver Version and Cyndaquil. Oh, solid choice. Solid yeah, choice. always Firestarter, actually. was I, I was always a Firestarter person. Um, Totodile competed in second gen. <laughs> but the grass type never gets chosen. Never. I actually, every time I play Silver, I always pick Chikorita. You know, having become a hardcore Pokemon fan, I always start Chikorita now, even though it sucks. True test of skill. <laughs> you like but yeah, like, they, these, these games, like, they they breach media at different levels. It's not just a game. It's like a TV show. It's like a movie, right? Yep. Like there was a Pokemon movie, Detective Pikachu. A Pokemon movie? Try like two dozen Pokemon movies. And those too, right? But like yeah. Deadpool freaking played Pikachu. <laughs> just just take a second to think about that, right? That like happens. the reason why I think League is a generational game because not only do so many people that are like, like people that are sort of were hardcore gamers in like middle school, high school, when the game started coming out or like playing it to list date or like people who are now getting into hardcore, like as a middle school or whatever, like there are 13 year old players in the top 1% of league. That's insane. That's, I can't imagine being 13 and being the top 1% of anything. Like I just saw a YouTube video about that yesterday and I was like, there, there's no way. But I mean, that makes sense, right? Because it's been around for so long and now there's so much knowledge about the game that these players are starting earlier and doing it, but they're getting into it, right? League is like making, you know, there's like a Netflix animated show coming out. There's like a platformer, there's, you know, music, everything. Minecraft is kind of like that too, where Minecraft was for your casual gamer you can build, but it was also the new version of Legos for kids. It literally, no, Minecraft is Legos, is computer Legos. It's because it's now a kid doesn't get a, a set of Legos. They get an iPad and their iPad has Minecraft okay. on it. Every kid's mind. If you go, if you have an iPad and that a kid owns, Minecraft's on there. Guarantee you. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter if they're like not a gamer, quote unquote. It's because like, what did they do when they were like kids? They didn't really play with action figures, so to speak. Yeah. Like I know action figures are still made today, but like, I don't really think people are buying as many Happy Meals in, in 2020 as they were in, in 1990, whatever, in 2000 something. And then oh, also, they are not. RIP Toys R Us. Oh my God. Oh my God. I need to. Apparently, they're maybe coming back, and I need that in my life. I just need one oh, bit of good wow. news right now. <laughs> Love the giraffe, man. Love the yeah. giraffe. All right. So, Pokemon benefited from being that very simple, very accessible, very marketed game. It was a game, a TV show, a movie, a trading card, a toy. Mm. Minecraft was Legos for the next generation. Let's talk about something like Counter-Strike, which is, that is not for casual gamers, but it has stood the test of time. I I came out in, what, the 90s Counter-Strike? I forget when the first Counter-Strike came out. Must be, yeah, must be. Yep, and that game has stood the test of time. People still, like, refer, you're talking about Valorant? It's Counter-Strike with a twist. Come back to it. People are still basing a game off Counter-Strike, a game that is not for casuals that does not have mass marketing and is not rooted in a different kid's toy. Why does something like that change the game and stick around? I think Counter-Strike lacked competition from other games in the same genre because Call of Duty was never, and Battlefield was never really a challenger 
to um, to Counter Strike, right? They they were designed for casual players to be released on a year to year basis, things like that. So you could maybe argue games like Team Fortress Two were competitors, but these these games didn't really last nearly as long to have that level of impact. And the pros in the CS:GO scene were not likely to leave for another game when like, they well, were you're good at, so much success. If you're good at CSGO, you're going to stick with CSGO. Absolutely, right? I think it's the same reason why like StarCraft pros will say in StarCraft and things like that. Rarely do you have a player, and I think there's one that comes to mind who used to play League of Legends on Team Dignitas and then went to um, Overwatch. He went from playing a MOBA to playing a shooter, which was, it was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, that, I've never really seen that happen a lot. And I mean, you could argue that you know some gaming ability will transfer from one game to the other. But um, uh, if we're talking about like specifically to a genre, like yeah, Counter Strike, I don't think like had a lot of competition from a shooter. So it was like it was if you wanted something like Counter Strike, your only option was Counter Strike. Yeah, and that's like, yeah. Smash, Smash Bros is like an example of like a game that's also generational, right? Oh because... my god! In di- people played that game in diapers and are still playing that game today. Right, because it's actually taken, I think Smash Bros. is generational where Mario isn't, even though Mario is that, like, platformer. Because Smash Bros. is all of the Nintendo titles having some representation in one, and now Nintendo's like, screw it, we're going to make one final one. We'll follow the model of, like, you know, you'll buy and we'll keep giving you more content, right, in, like, the DLC characters. But they're, like, adding characters from all over the place. From Persona, they're adding, like... Oh my all, god! All of these characters, and it's going to be the final, you know, Super Smash Bros. But you know, if it does well enough, I could totally see them doing another one in yeah. like you know twenty years. Yeah. Now that game, it's too good to let for them to just sit it and let let it be. They'll have they'll it's, have to make another one. The ultimate party game until like party games started becoming a genre. Yeah, like Jackbox is a thing now, right? Ooh, and then you Jackbox. have, um. Like, you know, maybe Jackbox will become one of those games if quarantine lasts long enough. I hope to God it doesn't, right? Oh like, hope God. to God it doesn't. But, like, Jackbox could be one of those things. Um, Pummel Party. Um, these are all, like, a new type. This is a new genre that's come around, which is, um, you know, party party games. And we'll see if that's if uh, party games are the generational game of uh, COVID to 2- 2K20. So the 90s generational games were Pokemon and Counter-Strike. One was the uber casual kids can play. The other was the uber competitive. This is where you go if you want this experience. Today's legacy game is Minecraft. When did Minecraft come out? I honestly don't even know. Beta 2009. I'm going to look that up. Do it right now. I I need to know. I have a mighty need. 2011. Wait, Minecraft development started around May 10th, 2009. I was right. Um, and it was released in 2011. There you go, 2011. So that was probably this decade's quote-unquote generational game. Was there another one in there? Maybe. Who knows? I think it's, it's a little hard to say because really computer games were, or not computer games, but games in general were propelled post the 90s because prior to that, like, you have Sonic, but I wouldn't call Sonic generational, even though there's like a movie about it now and, you know, they might be remastering some stuff. It's just like Sega didn't exist or last long enough as a console in the face of GameCube and PlayStation and Xbox, right? They, they move more to like the arcade games, right? Yep. So you could argue that like there are certain fighters that did really well, but they're not generational because I think what we talked about earlier is generational requires your casual and your 
hyper competitive sort of to have that um, crossover. So maybe like this generation, you'll have Animal Crossing. Who knows? Animal Crossing, my God. Everyone plays Animal Crossing. I haven't seen much about it in the news lately. But it's but just, I... it's not new. That's my only thing. It's, it's, just, it's, it's the next game in a, in a series. So it's, it's not new. Yeah. It's, it's so weird to think about because I, I, Pokemon, the newer games, t- eh, I haven't even played Sword and Shield. I don't have any intention of, but mm-hmm. just the simplicity of that game. I must have been maybe five years old yeah. and I understood everything. It was so clear to me how this game is played, what I need to do. They gave you a manual when you bought the game. If you didn't know, you would read. It was like one of those things where you would like figure it out. And it was like your Uncharted Adventure of 2001, 2000. Like I wasn't even the kind of guy who's like, I got to catch them all. I was the kind of guy who was like, I I got to get the badges. (laughs) I got to get these badges. I got to beat the Elite Four. My Pikachu's got to Thundershock his way through everybody. And I still have fond memories of that game. I still, I could go back and play Pokemon yellow, blue, and red, assuming the battery hasn't died on them, and have just as much fun now as I did when I was five years old. Absolutely. Which there's, is wild. there's just something about those games that like either the nostalgia or whatever that like I could I could play a Pokemon game today. I love Pokemon, so I still probably still play like I play yeah. a competitive, right? But that that that's it's a really fun game. I think yeah, we'll we'll see what some of the new games are. I could see PS5 titles being um, generational in the sense of like some of the ones we saw about like the Mage, because it would have to be something that uses like the new haptics controllers, for example, right? Maybe do what Death Stranding was setting out to achieve. Like Hideo Kojima had some crazy logic and ideas for what he wanted to do, and I think he had um, a vision. That man. Right, but maybe just the controls weren't there. Like it was maybe it would be better for PS5, right? And we'll we'll see how that plays out. But I think the next set of generational games will be VR. Who knows? I know. I want to say like, I want to point to a game right now and say this one is the generational game, but I can't do it. I don't. I think it's too soon. We we gotta let more time go on. We gotta let them develop. It's always so easy to say in hindsight, of course, how did you not know during, of course this game was genius, but you never know at the time. There's yeah. no way Nintendo was sitting there in their office with Pokemon like, yeah, we've got a game that's for th- the next 30 years, we're good here. We're good. <laughs> no one can know okay. that. Someone sit here and tell me that Temtem is a Pokemon killer, and then we'll have a conversation about the <laughs> next generational game in Podcast V2. I'm so ready for it. Yeah, but I think at the end of the day, whether the, we are, it's a game that's generational or a game that leaves a legacy like The Last of Us or a game that's just straight up fun to play like League or Call of Duty. They all bring something to the table. Assuming that the company puts their weight behind it, they care about the game and not the profits. All these games, it doesn't matter if they're generational or legacy or played all the time. They all bring that experience that you're looking for. Sometimes I want that Call of Duty casual, I don't really want to think. Sometimes I want that, I don't play League, but that hyper-competitive, everything I do matters, every decision I make has weight. Sometimes I want that story, that, I want to cry. By the way, I've already cried twice for The Last of Us Part Two, and we're not done yet. I'm keeping a running tally. And that's what I love about these games. That there's always something for everyone. Whether you are someone who is not a gamer, you can go play Animal Crossing or Pokemon, or you are a gamer and you can really appreciate League and, Call, or, and uh, maybe The Last of Us Part Two. Right. They appeal to everybody of all ages, genders, races, religions, and creeds. And that's why it is such an amazing industry. Agreed. 
I wish I could say something nice and like to seal that out, but I'm gonna hit you with a a big agreed because games are fun, man. Games are incredible. I'm so glad. I remember getting a little nostalgic now to close it out. The first video game quote unquote console I ever got was a Game Boy Advance. And the first game on that Game Boy Advance was Mario Kart Game Boy. I have not looked back since. That think- my parents were concerned I was a video game addict. They were considering taking it away from me. They have no idea what Pandora's box they opened. I'm not an addict. Video game addiction, it's like anyone can get addicted to anything, but calm down, parents. Your kids aren't addicted to video games. They're just not. Yeah. But I'm so happy. I, I call, I'm proud to call myself a gamer. I think you're proud to call yourself a gamer. Absolutely. There might be stigma around that word, especially from the non-gamers, but it's just such a, at the end of the day, it's a great community to be a part of and it's i'm so happy i'm a part of it absolutely yeah i think with that we can close out this episode what do you say yeah i'm I'm, i think we've covered a good number of topics here about uh you know longevity of games and what keeps games around i think we have also talked about a good number of topics of where we're going to go from here so obviously look out for the last of us two podcast and um I can see us talking a little bit more into sports games as a category, just in general. So just yep. uh, and esports, we definitely want to talk about esports here. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. All right. So time for some shameless plugs. So as I said, I am Matthew, aka I am the Deadly Showman. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Instagram, the Deadly Showman, and Twitter at Deadly Showman. And Tarush, you want to give yourself the shameless plug? Absolutely. Yes. Please go ahead and give me and Matt a follow at our respective Instagrams and Twitters. <laughs> His is the Deadly Showman. Mine is at Speakeasy GG on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and I am on Twitch as well, where I stream at uh, Twitch.tv/SpeakeasyGG. So until the next one, guys, take it easy, and we hope to be seeing you all in the next episode.